Well, this is the third week in a series we're calling Basics, and we are looking at some of the basic foundational elements of our Christian faith. Now, um, these are things I think that we've got to understand, got to be, have a, a, some sense of familiarity with, if we want to build a big, strong, and shakable faith. If you want to have a faith that grows throughout your lifetime, you've got to have a good foundation on which to build that faith. And so, um, the things that I've chosen to talk about in this series are some of those things that help you build that faith on. Uh, and so, in the first two weeks, we simply talked about our God. I mean, how more basic can you get when talking about our faith is the God that we worship. And the first week, we looked at just a couple things about who he was. Last week, we looked at how he needs to kind of be the focus of our entire lives, that we, as humans, tend to be selfish, and we tend to put the focus on ourselves, but rather our lives flourish and thrive when we take our eyes off ourselves and focus on God and who he is. Now today we're going to look at one of the other essential parts of our faith, the Bible. And the Bible is, I think, one of the most incredible, not one of the most, the most incredible uh, work of literature in the history of the human race. And uh, I, I don't like calling the Bible a book, it, doesn't, it looks like a book, right? Okay, so it's a little deceiving, but it's not really a book. In fact, the Bible is a, an entire library of books and letters, of stories, of wisdom literature. It's, it's got just about everything you could think of is, is wrapped up in this one nice, compact little package. It's 66 books written by over 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years. This isn't like most books today where somebody, you know, holds themselves off in a cabin for a few months while they write one book beginning to end. What's amazing about this is even though it's 66 separate books and that there were 40 different authors, men and women, and it was written over the course of 1,500 years, is that it tells one cohesive story of God working in our world. It's unprecedented what the Bible truly is. And the way, the reason we call it, you know, God's Word, that's one of the other names we use for the Bible or, or the Holy Scriptures, is because we believe that this is not just the work of human authors, it is, but it's also the work of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit worked through and inspired the people who wrote this down so that even though the people changed and the period of history changed, the God who was behind it all did not change. And that is how it is able to do what it does and tell that one unique story. Now, um, I'm just going to put my cards on the table here. I have a goal for today, and I'm, I'll let you in on it. Okay? My goal is to get more people to read the Bible. Okay, um, I, I, I don't want to hide that. I don't think it should shock anybody that you came to church and the preacher said you should read the Bible. Okay, um, I think more of us should open this up and try to navigate its pages. That's, that's what I would want to convince you to do today. That's my goal. Now, um, let me just say, um, do you have to be, or do you have to read the Bible in order to be a Christian? No. And the reason I say that is because if you think back to the first century church, when the church was just getting started, right after Jesus had died, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, um, most Christians could not read. So they couldn't read the Old Testament, many of them, because they were illiterate. Um, and they couldn't read the New Testament because it wasn't a thing yet. 
People were still writing the New Testament. It hadn't been bundled together, gathered together. So there were Christians that existed, and they did not read the Bible. They were taught the Bible by somebody who could read and navigate it and help them walk through it. But if you're going to push me on it, because I know, you know some people always got to wonder, okay, I'm a Christian, but I don't read the Bible. And I know, especially when I talk about it, everyone, every Christian would say, I need to read the Bible more. I know, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should probably read it more. But we don't. But that's, I don't want to say it's okay. Okay, I'm not giving you a free pass necessarily. Because um, I do think that we live in a period in history where we have a couple of things that are just hugely to our advantage. One is that, the overwhelming majority of our society can read. That's not something that's been the case, historically speaking. Um, in fact, if you look in like the ancient world, there are times when people think maybe 30 to 40% of the overall population could read at a given time in ancient worlds. And it was usually the rich people, the elite. It wasn't common people. It wasn't everybody. But in our society, just about everybody has the ability to read to some extent. And also throughout history, people have not had access to books the way that, that we do. People have not had access to scripture for the majority of, of God's work in humanity until the printing press was made and the Bible started getting printed regularly. I mean, I would bet that almost all of you have a Bible in your house. Um, if you don't have a Bible in your house, most of you probably have at least one smartphone in possession in your family. You can download Bible apps for free. You have access to a Bible. And even if you say, I don't have a smartphone and I don't have a Bible in my house, there's a black Bible in the pew in front of you. Take that home. That is our gift to you. You are not stealing from us. We're a church. We can figure out where to get more Bibles, so don't feel like you're going to swipe from us or anything. You have access to this amazing work that God has written, and you have the ability to read it. Two things that are unparalleled in the history of mankind. So we have a gift. We are fortunate to be able to read it, and so I think that we should. You don't have to read it to be a Christian, but why would we waste these two amazing gifts that God has given into our time and our place? Because when we open the Bible, just listen to what we have access to. This is the, these are the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, writing to a young man named Timothy, who was a pastor that Paul had kind of trained and discipled and invested in. Here's what Paul says about the Bible. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This would have been the Old Testament for them. The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word complete there, it means basically you're made to be all that God meant for you to be. You, you get, it shapes you, it teaches you, it corrects you, it, it guides you. God's Word guides us to be fully who He expected us and hopes for us to be. And so my goal, again, to get more people to read the Bible today. But why don't more of us do that? Because that's one thing I know. I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor, but I don't have any grand... Uh, delusions that, you know, 100% of Christians always read the Bible. I, I know probably if you're a Christian, you think, yeah, maybe I should read it. Maybe you've cracked it open. And you're like, I tried. 
probably won't try again. I mean, maybe that's where you are. Um, but I, I understand that there are reasons why we don't. Um, here's a couple of the reasons, or a few of the reasons. The first one is that the Bible is hard to read. I'll give you that. And, and it especially can be hard to read, depending on the translation that you get. Um, there are some people, I'm not of this mindset, but there are some people who believe that the only translation of the Bible that's worth anything is the King James. Um, I, again, I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up reading the Bible, and I didn't grow up reading things in King James English. And so when I crack open the King James, even though I've read the Bible many times, it is hard for me to read it and grasp it. I, it's just not how my brain is particularly wired. So there are translations that can make it easier. Um, you got to pick a good one because some I feel are a little better than others, and we could talk about that another day. Um, but it can be incredibly tough to read. It can also be hard to read because, you know, we're 2,000 years removed from the culture into which it was written. And so there are things that the Bible will talk about that just culturally don't make any sense, okay? When it talks about, hey, if your brother dies, you better marry his wife. Um no thank you, like, I already have one, like, that's weird, right? You crack open the Bible, and it's, I mean, that's one of the repeated commands. It calls it a brotherly duty in the Old Testament. Um, when it talks about how two people would kind of seal a business agreement, and one guy would plop his shoe off and give it to the other guy, that's how they sealed the deal. It's like, isn't, what about a handshake? Like, why does the guy have to lose a shoe to sign the business agreement? Like, that's, there's stuff in there that just because of time, it just doesn't make sense to us. And it can make it a little bit hard to read, hard to understand, hard to grasp. Another thing about the Bible that I think is a reason why people don't read it too often is the Bible's daunting. It's a scary thing to get into. Now, the Bible is a lot of material. Um, now, like I said earlier, we have Bibles, it looks like a book, but the only reason the Bible, for most of us, looks like a book is because they have used microscopic printing technology to put as many words on a page as they can, and they've printed it on this tissue paper that usually you put in bags with presents, you know, but they've decided to print on both sides of it so they can fit as many words on as many pages and as many pages within this cover so they can make the Bible fit in one convenient location to carry it with us. Now, that is one advantage that phones and tablets have over traditional Bibles. You can blow that print up to where there's like two words on your screen, and you can just read it to swipe, two words, swipe, two words, swipe. That's a benefit. You don't have to be confined by physical space. But for the rest of us, when you want to take a Bible with you somewhere or open it up to read it, this is helpful that they've compacted it that this way. Now, if you've ever wondered... What would the Bible look like if they used normal print and normal pages? How big would the Bible be? Well, luckily somebody has done that for you. And it gets broken up because one book would be unwieldy. And so it's been broken up into four volumes. So I got this Bible set. And where the, the bookmark is, that's just the first five books. I've read the first five books of Moses so far. Just finished him the other day in this. But if you wanted to fit the Bible, it, to print it like a normal book, here's what it takes up. That's a scary thing. I mean, my wife has some big Harry Potter books, but even the biggest Harry Potter book isn't like this, okay? And it's a lot 
a lot easier to read uh, that, that stuff than it is some of the stuff that's in the Bible. So this can be really scary when you say, oh, I'm going to read the Bible, and I guess it's going to take me forever because there's so much material in it. So I understand why people find the Bible daunting, why they find it a little bit scary. And if you've never read it before, another thing that can be scary about it is you might think, okay, where do I start? Because most every other book, it's kind of self-explanatory. Where do you start in most every book you've ever read ever? Page one, right? But here's what happens to, with people when they try to open up the Bible and they start in, at page one. You can read Genesis, and it's okay. And you can read Exodus, and it's fine, because those are mostly a story that's being told. And then you get to Leviticus, and it's part story. And then it gets into those weird laws that don't seem to make any sense that God starts giving the Israelites about, you know, you don't cook something in its mother's milk, and if you're going to wear clothes, they've got to all be made of one fabric, not two. And you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever read. And, and you quit. I can't tell you how many Christians who have said, you know, I did Genesis and Exodus, pretty good. But man, Leviticus stopped me cold in my tracks. In fact, before I was a Christian, I started going to church camp in the summer, and they would say, hey, if you're going to think about God, you might start reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times before I was a Christian, I read Genesis and Exodus, stopped at Leviticus, quit for six months, and then kind of got the idea, maybe I should read the Bible again. So what do I do? I flip it open to page one, like a moron, again, and think, I'm going to do it this time. And I never, ever, ever made it through until finally I got to Bible college and somebody kind of helped me find a little bit nicer of a way to get through the Bible. So it can be scary because it's not just one book, but it's a library. And the type of writing that you're reading changes from page to page sometimes, and it can be hard. But I think the most common criticism that many people who don't read the Bible regularly will say, and I don't know how many of you would admit it because people don't tell the preacher things like this, but I think most people would say, the reason I don't read the Bible is because it's boring. And I will be the first to admit that I... 100% agree with that statement. There are parts of the Bible that are incredibly boring. You get to those uh, laws, and it's just one thing after the other. You get to a genealogy. I mean, when I read just anything, maybe some of you are like me, anytime I open a book, any book at all to read it, I get drowsy. Anybody like that? You open the Bible to a genealogy, it's like a fistful of Ambien. I mean, you're done. I mean, you really are absolutely, it'll knock you out cold. That stuff is so rough to read through. But not all of the Bible is hard to read, okay? Not all of the Bible is boring. In fact, there are some parts of the Bible I think that read like a movie. Or, and some parts I think that read a little bit more like a soap opera. But, but there's, I mean, they're, they're not boring. Um, a few months ago, we did a series called Game of Thrones. And we went into um, some of the, the historical books in the Old Testament where the kings were ruling ancient Israel. And man, there were stories of, I mean, betrayal and deception and incest, which is not great, but again, it's a little more soap opera than some things. There were people hiding children because they were under attack from the royal family. I mean, there was murder and people riding donkeys into war, which you never see in movies, right? And there was all kinds of stuff that's just exciting. And sometimes I think, we need to use our imaginations a little bit more and put ourselves in the story and just think a little bit about how these situations are playing out because there are definitely parts of the Bible that are not boring. But I will admit, even as a preacher, there are parts of the Bible that I find very boring myself. But I still try to read them because 
though they might not be equally entertaining, it is still all equally given to us by God. And there's something useful usually in just about everything. So despite the fact that the Bible might not be the easiest thing to work through, why do I still think you need to work through it? Okay, Why would I still say, hey, you should read the Bible, you should try, you should crack it open and try to make your way through this stuff. And it's because God is revealing himself to us in its pages. You see, there's a couple ways that we know about God and who he is. One is just kind of in the world. You look outside and you can kind of see God's beauty. You can see God's beauty in a sunset, a rainbow. You can see God's absolute size and power when you look up at the night sky and realize you are seeing suns burning trillions of light years away. You can see God's power when you go to the beach and the smallest wave knocks you over and you realize, wow, I really don't have any strength or power on the scale of the world. If God could make this tiniest wave to just bowl me over, wow, God must be incredibly powerful. Okay? You can learn about God from our world, but within the pages of scripture, we have God, the creator of the universe, saying, hey, here I am, and I want you to know who I am. And even places like those boring laws, believe it or not, you can learn about God. Take the, the law that says um, don't wear clothing made of two types of material. When you really look at the heart of that, it's because God wanted the people of Israel to be a holy people and a pure people. He wanted them to not be a people who tried to mix following God with doing whatever they wanted and following whatever craving they felt in their heart or, or following God, the, the one true God, and then worshiping some false God of some other nation. They, he wanted them to be all for him. And there are several laws that reflect that desire for purity and holiness that he has for them. Or take the command that says, do not lie, okay? Maybe you'd never read the Bible, but you would probably assume that that's in there, right? It is. You'd be right, okay? But take the command, don't lie. Why would God tell us not to lie? Because he is not a God of deception. In fact, by definition, he is honesty. There is no lie in him. He is truth itself. And so he reveals himself. He says, be like me. Don't lie. Tell the truth. It's the best way to go. And God is revealing himself to us. He wants you and I to know him. The creator of the universe who flung galaxies into the distant reaches of our universe is saying to little old you, hey, here I am. I'd love for you to know who I am. Now, to shift gears a little bit, when I say read the Bible, one of the questions that um, I get from people that if you kind of navigate too far, especially um, somebody who's unfamiliar with the Bible, is they'll ask something like this, is the Bible trustworthy? For instance, okay, let's say you believe it's God's word and you believe God spoke it to these people. That was a long time ago. How do we know the Bible we have now is the Bible they had then? How do we know that the Old Testament and the New Testament are preserved well so that, you know, let's say throughout history, you, un you understand um, powerful people can kind of rewrite history to be what they want it to be. You know, they can, they can make history favor them by whatever they put in writing to make them look really nice, right? So how do we know that some powerful pope back in the day or some powerful king back in the day didn't have his scribes kind of change the Bible to suit their purposes? How do we know, if, if we believe God, the Bible was originally God's word, how do we know that it is preserved well today? Well, there's a couple of things excuse me, um, that we can, can look at, um, which, I mean, but, but first you got to kind of understand how, how, it, how we got it, okay? Um, because let's take, 
um, Jesus' half-brother, James. Uh, he wrote a book of the Bible. Anybody know what it's called? Very good, yeah, that was kind of an easy question. Um, um, but James, which by the way, this is just a side note that has nothing to do with my sermon, but if you can convince your brother to worship you as God, that makes me think maybe you're God, because I know my brother, and there's no worshiping me going on, okay? Uh, and so anyway, so James wrote a book of the Bible, and so once he wrote that down, he couldn't run out to the nearest office store, office max, office depot, staples, make a hundred copies and mail them out to people or email them to anybody. No, he wrote a copy and the way that typically worked was he would send it to a church or the authors, they would send this a letter to a church. That church would painstakingly hand copy that letter, send it on to another church. That church would painstakingly hand copy that letter and send it on to another church so that it could be spread around. Okay, what happens occasionally if somebody writes a couple words twice, or they're trying to copy it down and they skip a line altogether. Or what if somebody decides, you know what, I think this part of the story is a little boring and needs a little, little something to it, and they add a little something in. And well, believe it or not, there are places in the New Testament where things like that have happened. There are errors, there are copy problems, there are things that maybe don't seem to be like maybe they were originally there. Those things are true, which makes some people say you can't trust the Bible. But let me show you why I believe you can trust the Bible. We're going to compare the Bible and how we have, no, not the Bible, excuse me. Let's just go with the New Testament. We're going to compare the New Testament to two other ancient works of literature that most people never really question the validity of. Okay, First off, we'll do uh, the works of Plato, the works of Aristotle, and the New Testament. And you notice at the top there are kind of two criteria. The number of copies, so how many copies still exist. Um, I'll go ahead and say we don't have any of the originals. They were all lost to time of any of these works of art. So we have copies. So how many copies of these manuscripts do we have that we can kind of compare and contrast to see how many errors there are? And then there's earliest copies. So since we don't have the originals, what's like the oldest you know, how, how close can the copies get to the original, time-wise, okay? Let's just talk about number of copies. The more copies and pieces of uh, copies that you have, the more you can kind of lay them all out and say, okay, 90% say one thing, 10% say another. This is probably the right translation, okay? Because, for instance, you have certain things that in your New Testament, maybe things you've even learned and you thought were part of Scripture, that even though in the last... 30, 40, 50 years, have people have realized as they've made more discoveries and found more manuscripts, that probably wasn't in there. Um, take the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have ever heard or think you've said the Lord's Prayer? Okay, okay. The, the last line of the Lord's Prayer, believe it or not, probably was not original to the book of Matthew. And so most translations today, what they will do is they will take it out and make it a footnote. But yet we still say it. It's probably, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Probably somebody thought, well, it kind of ends a little abruptly. That prayer could be a little smoother at the end, Jesus. And somebody added in an extra line, you know, for the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know, that, that whole line that we've said a bajillion times, some of us, right? And that was probably not original, and they know that. And so we've corrected our modern Bibles, made it a footnote, and said, just so you know, the earliest manuscripts don't have this piece of information in them. And so the more copies we have of it, though, we got a lot of pieces to compare. And so when you compare the number of copies, there are seven, 
seven copies of the written works of Plato. There are five copies that have been found of the written works of Aristotle. But we have over 14,000 pieces or complete copies of the New Testament. Now, to be fair, some of them are like a chunk. Like the whole book has been corroded by time and they were able, some archaeologist was able to pick up with their little dustpan in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East and find a, a line or a few words. So some of them are really small fragments, but again, it's a piece that can be put into the bigger puzzle and you can compare them and find out, wow, for the most part, the Bible compares well. And then you look at the earliest possible copy, because the closer you are to the original, the less time there has been for legend, for embellishment, and for changes to be made, right? And so the closer you get, the more likely it is to be older. So that um, Lord's Prayer, the reason they take it out is because the older copies that they found have not shown that to be there. And so since it's older, they say this is more likely to be accurate, because it's closer to the original. And so, again, comparing the New Testament to these other works of literature, it absolutely blows them away. You have Plato, the closest they get to Plato, 1,300 years. The closest they get to Aristotle, 1,400 years. That's a lot of time for people to change things and things to be moved around and added or subtracted. But the New Testament, we can get within 100 years. That's incredibly close, historically speaking. Within 100 years. That's just a little over a lifetime, that's not a lot of time for changes to be made and legends to take shape. So, when you look at all these fragments, when they put everything together and they work on making the most accurate possible translation of our Bibles, they find that there are only about 400 errors that have any, any bearing, any weight on how we understand particular passages in the New Testament, okay? Um, and most of them are footnoted in your English Bibles. Um, like I said, the Lord's Prayer is one of those. But we know that 97 to 99% of the New Testament is accurate, basically beyond a reasonable doubt. We know that the New Testament, as we have it, is so incredibly close to the letters that were passed out in the first century church because we found so many copies, because Christians wanted so many people to hear this amazing message of God that they wrote it and they copied it over and over again. And even though there were errors that were made, the, most people who copied this stuff, they took it incredibly, incredibly serious. There were... Um, uh, there was an opportunity Abby and I had, gosh, it's only been two or three years ago, and I already can't remember how many years, and she's not in here, so I'll just say two. Uh, so um, we got to go to Ireland, and we got to go um, in Dublin to see what's called the Book of the Kells, and it's an old translation of, or a copy, handwritten copy of the Bible. Now, it's not 2,000 years old, it's old, but not that old, but what was amazing was to see it was illustrated, and it was ornate, and I mean, it was, it was beautifully preserved. It was a beautiful thing to look at. You don't touch it, obviously, um, but you could, in fact, most of the, you had to wait in line to see the actual book. You could just stand out in the lobby and see a pretty good facsimile, so I'm, if you ever go, don't wait in line. It's, you get the same thing by looking at the copies that they got all over the place, but What's impressive was they took it so seriously that they copied, uh, they put graphics in it, they put colors in it, they, they ornately decorated it. Why? Because they thought it was special. 
They wanted people to look at it and know this is something that we have put so much care and attention into. They believed that it was something powerful to look at. And so, when you approach this, we, we know they took it incredibly seriously. And so when you look at all the errors in the New Testament that make any sort of difference with how the sentence would read, if you pull up a Bible, one of our modern Bibles that has the tissue paper paper in it, um, all those errors would fit on one front and back of one of these. So here's the New Testament. Here's all the errors squeezed into one page. It's not comparable in terms of length. And, and not a single error that's in the New Testament has any weight on how we understand any major doctrinal issue in Christianity. They are, all the major doctrines, all of our major beliefs are secure in the pages. So that's my, you can trust the Bible. And maybe you found that last bit incredibly boring. I apologize. But basically, I wanted you to be able to approach the scripture knowing, wow, this actually might be God revealing himself to me. I wanted you to know, wow, this might actually still be the preserved words of our creator speaking out to the human race, saying, here I am, come and know me. Come know how I made you to live. Come know who I made you to be. I wanted you to understand that what we have is an amazingly holy thing. And again, my goal is to get more of you to appreciate the weight of what we have and to read it. Now, um, to make that a little easier, to make it a little less scary, hopefully to give you a little bit of motivation, I want to help you in any way that I can, maybe pick up a Bible and read it. And so, um, if you want to do the digital route, you can. Uh, we have on our website, all the time, always free, loemicc.com slash resources slash tools for growth. We have some um, Bible reading plans that you can, look, that you can download there. Um, first, we have the New Testament in 90 Days. New Testament in 90 days. Um, basically, you, ha- you read throughout the week and use the weekends to catch up anything you've missed. Um, we have 21 days in the life of Jesus where you get to walk through the Gospels. There's four Gospels. The Gospels are simply biographies about Jesus' life. You can walk through the Gospels um, and learn about the life of Jesus in three weeks. We have another one that's a 100-day snapshot of the Bible. Okay, So you get 100 days, you get a little bit of everything kind of understand maybe what's going on throughout the story of Scripture, because from Genesis to Revelation, believe it or not, it does tell one cohesive, continuous story. And we even have on there a 30-day new believer kind of journal. So if you're like new to the faith or just kind of like re-exploring faith, you can go to our website, get the new believer journal, and it'll take you 30 days walking you through Scripture and getting you to think about some of these elemental parts of your faith. Now, if you say, but I don't, I'm not going to remember that website by the time I get home, Anthony, that's okay. If you want to do the paper route, um, outside by the TV in the clipboards, I have the first three, the 21 days uh, in Jesus' life, New Testament in 90 days, and the 100-day snapshot of the Bible. Those are all hanging up out there. You just take a sheet and, and start there. Um, so those are there for you. Um, if you are a, a digital person, Get a good Bible app. Man, there are so many of them, and the good ones, they're, they're free, they're excellent. Um, there's the Version Bible app, there's the ESV Study Bible. Um, let's see, there's, uh, there's actually a, a, a version for kids, which is cool. My kids were watching that the other day, and James was like, Dad, I'm going to read the whole Bible. 
I was like, that's awesome, buddy. I, like, it, it was telling a story. It was, it's animated. There's little monkeys and coconut trees you tap, and it shoots coconuts. It makes it fun for them to get in and want to read the Bible a little bit and to know the story. But w- there's links to those on our website as well at that same web address. I just want to help you, try to convince you to read this magnificent work that God has granted to us. It has been preserved incredibly well throughout history on a level that you don't see with any other work of literature Ever. It's amazing what we have in the Bible. And so that's my pitch. That's my sales pitch on reading the Bible. If you have any questions about it, catch me after the service. I would love to help you. Email me if you have questions. I would love to do anything I can to get you to open the Bible more frequently because God is in its pages. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the Bible. We are grateful for these letters that were written by men and women throughout the centuries. And they all tell the story of your amazing work. I pray, Father, that we would at least appreciate the fact that we live in a time when we have unparalleled access to your word. And you want us to know you. You want us to learn about you. And that the Bible is something that we should take seriously. And I just pray that maybe more of us in the room would would be inspired to read it. And so, Father, I just ask that you would um, make us, if nothing else, grateful and appreciative for this amazing work of literature that you've allowed us to have in which you reveal yourself. And thank you for being a God who loved us so much that you actually wanted us to know you and to be like you. And so I just pray, Father, that, that as a people and as a church, that we would use your word to guide us, that we would have nothing as a roadmap in our life higher than your word, that we would see you in its pages and we would say, I need to follow the creator of the universe. He put this here so that I would know him and so that I would follow him to glory. Let us choose that path and honor that path that you've laid out for us. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.